But when people are asking that question, very rarely is it somebody actually asking, if God is good, why did these things happen? It's rarely from a per- purely philosophical, logical, headspace thing. You're asking, why, why did this happen to me? Why, why did this happen to me? Welcome to The Green Room, a space where leaders from the Austin Stone invite college students to have vulnerable conversations about relevant topics. Okay, today will probably be the most chaotic episode we've had yet. That's not because of today's topic, uh, but 100% because of today's guest and idea of having him and Tyler on the same podcast hey, episode. <laughs> Today, our guest is Marshall Perry, who serves as our church's central and downtown groups director. So, Marshall, welcome to the green room, man. Mitchell, Tyler, audience <laughs> out there. <laughs> how are we doing? How, how many office quotes do you think you find a way to work into this I mean, a lot. Like, if we're talking about, like, my worst experience as a human, there's going to be some deflection. So <laughs> uh, Michael Scott will come out a couple times. So do you, do you think you're you're more Michael than Dwight or Andy? Like, who 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 would you resonate with most? Andy. You're sh- really? 100%. Do you think any human being has willingly said they're m- most like Andy? I have great self-awareness. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think that's why you had me on this topic, talking about human experience. I just see myself clearly. That's, yes, you Ooh. do. Yes, you do. The, the, the guy with all the Harry uh, Potter wands. Yep. Oh, my gosh. Bro, for those who do not know who you are, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yep. Marshall Perry uh, grew up in Dallas, uh, came to UT, and was not a Christian. So I got saved at the Austin Stone then in my freshman year, and so our church is my only church experience. Wait, hey, hey, before you you keep going, so you came to the Austin Stone. You were one of the guys—you were a bleacher guy. Oh, my God. I owned the bleacher. So you—I think it's important for people to know, you would time— the amount, of, the amount of time to come to a service where you wouldn't have to do any worship. 100%. My uh, experience, <laughs> you this like, no, I have not heard this. I was like, this worship is way too long. <laughs> and I would go to the 5 p.m. We love you, Aaron Ivy. Let's yep. be clear. Yeah. Marshall and loves so you. So I would leave my house on campus at 5.15 yeah, for the 5 o'clock service, knowing I'm going to roll up right at 5.30 as the guy's getting up there to preach. And I would listen to the sermon, and then I would bounce. Uh, like I was, as soon as announcements were going up, I'm gone. Did that for about a year. And it was the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was like, Hey man, when are you going to stop consuming all my bride? And I was like, Oh, now. I guess now. Yeah. Well, that, that's good for anyone who's listening and you are a person who does that. Hey, there's hope for you. Mm-hmm. God, God's still working. And if you judge people, you're judging Marshall Perry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're judging old Marshall Perry. He that's would come right. in and out of the services. Sorry. I just, I love that aspect of your story because it is, it does showcase the trajectory for people, right? Like where oh, you yeah. end up is not where you start. Oh that's yeah. Solid. Every time I see somebody leaving during announcements, like there's hope for you. Because <laughs> mm. it's for yeah. me. Yeah. I see myself there. It's, it's, <laughs> it's first Timothy one. <laughs> yep. He's patient with yep. me to show he's patient with you. That's exactly mm. right. Sorry. So, Austin Stone being your only church. It's my only church experience. And I have had such a good discipleship experience in this church. Like love it. There, It is a mega church. There are obstacles to it, but like, I've seen myself go from full consumer to then just taking steps to serve and then lead and then have like a real passion for God's people and teaching God's word. And so like, I've just loved my time here at this church. Dang. What what made you 
want to become the group's director, not just for downtown, but for our entire church, the central group's director. Mm -hmm. There was um, me leading my own like missional community and discipleship groups. Uh, even while I was like service teams director, there was something about like spiritually forming a community of people to grow in their faith mm -hmm. and particularly like their role and part of the body. Yeah. I love, mm -hmm. like I love doing that. And so it was really uh, getting to do that in my first role at the stone that really like sparked, oh, that's where my like passion for ministry mm -hmm. is right now. It's like yeah. spiritually forming communities of people within the local church and love doing it. Yeah. Let's go, man. Yeah, man. Uh, Y'all, Marshall is really good at his job. And yeah. during an entire pandemic, uh, helped our church develop and implement a strategy to uh, really highlight groups and connect so many people to life-giving groups and communities um, during the pandemic. So, Marshall, we're super thankful for you, man. Um, yeah, and just all the ways you served. You were college director at one point. No doubt. Yeah, you were. You were no double fisting we, we had roles. three college directors in this room. Yep. No big deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no big deal. Yeah, a table it's a of college, college director roundtable. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're telling you the highs about who wore it best at the Academy Awards. <laughs> 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 That's what we're talking about, right? Uh I mean, is that the Oscars? Yep. Is there a difference? Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> see, that, that shows you how much I don't know. Yeah. Um, Gab is just holding her head and shaking it over there at me. I'm sorry I'm not uh, that culturally aware. But um, Marshall, so while you're one of the funniest people I know, this is also a really, really deep and sad and hard topic um, that Obviously, we can't run from as people, um, as believers even. Uh, so just for our listeners, uh, to give you a warning, this episode is going to be a lot more personal than most of our other ones because today we're going to talk about hard experiences. Uh, so I want to start off uh, with actually us listening to Marshall's story. What was one of the most painful experiences of your life? Yeah, we're going to dive in, but I'm really excited that this isn't on film because at some point or another, I feel like the three of us are going to be hugging each other, crying. Hey, uh, love it. So here we go. But without a doubt, uh, the most painful experience I've been through has been really over the course of these past four years uh, when my dad died four years ago. Uh, so he passed away from ALS, which is Lou Gehrig's disease. And I don't know if y'all are aware of it, but it is just the most brutal, yeah. twisted, wicked disease ever. And so what, what year did he get diagnosed? Uh, 2014 okay. and he passed in 2016. Okay. And that is one aspect that was like so hard to watch because it's a neurological disease where like over time, like your body just can't control any function. And so to see like this healthy, vibrant man who's like about to uh, retire and like enjoy the fruit of his labor to then you just watch like this slowly disintegration yeah. of mm -hmm. his ability to do anything. And so it was just so hard to watch him, like, not be able to use his muscles yeah. uh, over time, like, where you just, like, wither away mm -hmm. and to the point where, like, it's a—you watch a, a person go through the next loss over and over mm -hmm. and over again where it's, like, at first he's having a hard time, like, lifting groceries, right? And then it gets to the point where, like, he can no longer write you know, or like hold his phone. Yeah. And all of those moments come with like, you just see yeah. helplessness and just, I'm losing my independence slowly. My ability to like do anything on my own. And then like when you see him get in the wheelchair, 
like where you can't walk anymore. And you mm. just have these pictures of like who dad was, yeah. you know? And so me being uh, like freshly married and living in Austin. So like I wouldn't see him at times for weeks or a couple months at a time. So every time I would see him was like the next like loss. Mm. And so all of those came with a certain level of grief. But uh, I think the hardest, worst moments of that were in the last stages where like he has no ability to control anything. Yeah. And it's like truly at the mercy of people helping him. And there's a w- one specific moment that like I think about that is just, I mean, it just still puts my stomach in knots. But like here's a, a grown man who at one point like was having to change my diapers mm-hmm. when I was a little child who yeah. I'm having to change his diaper. Yeah. And it was the weirdest feeling mm-hmm. ever to like, see your dad just like, I can't do anything. Mm-hmm. And to see how humiliated he was, right? Like he can't even go to the bathroom on his own. And I'm his son and I'm like, you used to do this for me and now yeah. I'm doing it for you yeah. is so weird. Yeah. And the brutal part about it is like, there's, there's no treatment. It just like runs its mm-hmm. course. Yeah. And what's like so twisted about it is it basically after it attacks your muscles, it starts to attack your organs. Mm -hmm. And that's ultimately like how you pass. Like you can't, your brain doesn't send signals to your lungs. And so like you just suffocate. Yeah. There's no out. And it's just like the worst thing ever. So watching that experience certainly came with a lot of grief and whatnot. uh, And it was incredibly painful. His passing away was in my opinion, not the hardest part because there's a sense of relief there. You're like, you're just suffering and you know Jesus and like, I'm so glad you're doing just fine now. Like he's doing just fine. But I'll be totally honest with you all. The hardest part about the most painful experience to that has not, it's been watching that process, but it's really been the course of the past like three years Mm -hmm. since that. Because uh, you see the effect that yeah. loss has on all aspects of your life. Yeah. That when you lose someone that close that was so influential, uh, it really does have a massive impact on uh, how you view and relate to God, how you view and relate to yourself, yeah. and how you view and relate to other people. And so it's been uh, me spending the course of these past like three years uh, grieving those things and processing those things. I spent the whole first year after my dad passed not even thinking about it. Mm. Just like whether it be the stages of grief of denial, which it probably was. Um, it was just your, that was just your way of coping with it. Yeah. It was just like, let's just move on. Yeah. I'm newly married and like my life's in Austin. Let's not even think about it. It was really the second year when I started to really grieve the loss of uh, the dad that he was. So like, that's where I was just like, you just missed him. Like, mm-hmm from UT football games to holidays to all the moments that you would have and share with each other that um, bring back another sense of grief. And then also what was hard is like, it just changed my family dynamic. Like there's no going back. Right now, the way that my mom and I relate, my brother and I relate, my sister and I relate, all of us together, like it's just different. Yeah. And it's the worst. Like it's, there's moments of awkwardness where like, it just changed the way that we relate to each other. So you're like, I hate that. I I just wish that like it was an isolated event, but it never is. And I think that's one of the hardest parts about the human experience. These things are never contained themselves. They ripple into all aspects of your life. The hardest part was the third year 
when I was no longer like the third year after he passed mm-hmm. away. Where now I was uh, not just grieving the father that he was, but grieving the father that I wish he was. Mm-hmm. Like that, seeing moments where like he was absent, mm-hmm. and wishing that I had had a dad that was more emotionally present with me. Who like I wish my dad like took more of an interest in me. It was like moments where I realizing like, oh dang, deep down, I knew my dad loved me, but did he like me? Like that was yeah. really the third year where I'm like, oof, yeah. there's a lot there. Mm-hmm. And then when you actually start seeing how it affects your relationship with God, which is largely what we'll be talking about, how these these experience the question that we're going to be asking is largely like, I'm experiencing something, how could God? Why would God? Right. Yeah. And so what I realized like in uh, processing my relationship with my dad and those kinds of things, how much it translated to my relationship with God, who like deep down, I realized like, oh, if my dad loves me, uh, but he doesn't really like me, I saw, oh, I believe that's that's how God views me. I know he loves me, but God does not like me. And do I like myself? And Tyler, you and I like have had conversations particularly about like, my humor and the personality that God gave me and how like weird it felt for me to be myself because I'd had this picture of like me and my dad didn't, we weren't playful with each other. And so God doesn't want me to be playful. And so in ministry context or whatever, like I felt so like disoriented. Like I realized like, dang, I don't even know who I am. And that's all because of a loss of a father. And so it's been four years of like figuring out which way is up. Like who is God? Do, do you actually like me? Mm-hmm. Do I like myself? And so, yeah, it's it's kind of separated into two things. The actual watching somebody you love go through such deep, gross suffering. Yeah. Uh, but then seeing how that ripples into your life and you're like, gosh, I never would have thought like losing a dad would make me have to spend 18 months like doing a lot of like deep, real soul yeah. work on God. Do you Are you actually my father that cares about me? Do you like me or do you just provide for me? So when, when you were going through that process and you – so it doesn't sound like your faith was rattled in, in the sense of God doesn't exist. It was more rattled in the sense of I have a, I have a misunderstanding of who God is. And, yes. and, and it, it, was, it was that when you had that, that moment of I don't know that I view God correctly. Did you have that moment of I don't know if I like who God is? I don't know if, if I trust who God is or was it more self-like – I'm not good enough. I'm, you know, does that make yep. sense what I'm saying? Yep. I, I think it was, uh, my view of God yeah. was off. Like it, I was starting to see like, I don't feel safe around him. Yeah. Like I don't, I'm, I'm afraid to like bring parts of myself because is he really going to care? Or am I going to be like a burden Yeah. kind of thing? And I see all that, like in Walt and Mason who have been, doing LTG with a long time, like they've been so good to help me see, like put language to what my experience has been of like, uh, I viewed God as a CEO, like he's my boss. Yeah. And in my prayer life, I'll come into your office and like, here's where I've got today. What do you have for me? But no, like, Hey, how are you? Mm -hmm. You know? And that's where I started to become aware of. And before that you think like my relationship with God's great. And it like this whole like worldview I had of myself and God and all these things like just fractured because of the loss of my earthly father. And so, yeah, it's been those two things, losing him, but then piecing myself back together slowly and figuring out who am I and who is God. And that is a exhausting 
thing and it's hard. Um, the hope in that though is that like I've come a long way. Like I really do believe that God likes me. I find myself like being playful with him. I love his timing because prior to the pandemic, I was in a like real low spiritual spot. That was where I was like uh, really kind of at the peak of God, I, you just don't care about me. We're, yeah. Let's just let's just keep it a I'm your employee, you're my boss. Yeah. Let's stop working through this. It was really the pandemic that God got me basically into a mm. hospital room and did the slow heart work. Like as I was confined to my house, it yeah. put me in one space where he was like, here we go. We're yeah. going to spend a year uh, <laughs> working through this. And I think Jenny would tell you, a lot of people tell you, like, this past year has been one of the more spiritually vibrant ones amidst, mm. like, everything else. Yeah. And so his timing has been insane. And so, yeah, it's never been a question of his existence, yeah. um, more a question of how do I view you? How do you view me? How do we relate to each other? And then how that plays out in yeah. all aspects of your life. Yeah. Bro, thanks for— just sharing your story too. Yeah. That's hard. And I've never lost someone as close to me as a dad. Um, so even hearing how that impacted you, not just during that time or not just a year after, but is still impacting you now and how the hardest part was three years after. Mm-hmm. Um, man, that just opens my eyes and actually grows my empathy towards like, my friends who have lost close family members throughout this year. I mean, this entire year, man, people have lost a lot um, on top of friends and family members, um, whether it's to the pandemic or anything else, uh, but also jobs, um, losing finances. But yeah, thanks for for sharing that with us, man. Um, I know a lot of people listening to this are able to relate. So in this year, it's kind of like we've all been through one big, terrible event that's called the pandemic. And so we can all relate in one way, shape, or form to just, you know, how that's been a negative experience for all of us and how it's been really hard. Um, And on top of that, you have people who've lost a lot of things this year. Uh, So Marshall, as a person who absolutely loves God's church, man, you want to see um, our church and all Christians everywhere glorify God and worship Him forever and be on mission. No doubt. Um, But man, if this God that we're serving is so good, why do all these bad things happen, even to Christians, like death of family members or pandemics or illnesses or cancer, what have you. If God is good, why do bad things happen? Honestly, um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, theologically, yes, there are reasons that like we'll get to for sure. But when people are asking that question, very rarely is it somebody actually asking if God is good, why did these things happen? It's rarely from a purely philosophical, logical headspace thing. You're asking, why, why did this happen to me? Why, why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to my dad? Mm-hmm. Um, it all boils down to why me. And the scriptures speak to some of the things as to like why suffering would come and God's purposes for it. But he's silent 99% of the time on why did this happen specifically to me at this time? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, th- I think it's to, to that point. I think maybe a way that I would say it is there is a level of clarity that we want that we don't get here. Mm-hmm. So I, I would hate for it to feel like a finality of you'll never know, right? But there are there is clarity from the scriptures as to why things are broken, how things are broken, how suffering affects us, how God meets us in our suffering. But there is a level of clarity that we grasp for um, that we're not given here. But I don't think that means that there is uh, there's no comfort or no hope, right? But I do think there is a level of, of specificity to our situation. And you can actually, in the scriptures, know the overarching why, but I don't know how to find myself in that story. Right. And the reason is, is because we're still in the midst of that story. It, it's hard to find your place in a story that hasn't been finished yet. And so when the story hasn't been finished and Jesus hasn't come back, then you actually don't know how to make sense of the whole yeah. yet. And so there, there is a level of clarity coming um, that God will be able to give to us once he's here. But that, that's where we want to be slow, like you said, slow to, to bring clarity. That's the whole book of Job is friends trying to bring theological clarity to situations that they actually have no knowledge of. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think there's, there's a real sense of there is clarity on why do bad things happen, but there's a level of specificity to that clarity that that's lacking currently in our minds, not that there's not in God's mind, not that there's not in eternity to, to come. Um, but I do think it's, it's, it's finding yourself in the story and the narrative where we are. And until Jesus comes, until, like in any movie, until the, the, the final scene happens, I actually don't know how this relates to the whole. Yeah. So that, that, that's part of the tension we all feel. Yeah, and I, I think if you're going to ask this question, like talking about Job is incredible. Yeah. Uh, Habakkuk also is another one, like these examples of people who are crying out why. Like, why is this happening? And for Job, like, you see it specifically happening to him. And in those middle sections of the of the book where, like, the underlying theme is his cry of, like, God, why? Why? Why is this yeah. happening? He's having, like, a very disorienting experience. Like, he had this view of himself, and he had this view of God, and these things are happening. And he's, like, at least being honest, he's saying yeah. these things. But when you get to God's response, right, uh, in chapter 38 through 42, I love how, one, I picture God's tone when, when God basically <laughs> says, hey, where were you when I, when I laid the foundation yeah. of the yeah. earth? Yeah. It feels like he's going scor- scorched earth on him, but mm-hmm. I don't think that's God's yeah. tone there. I really think God's like, I'm aware of the situation you're going through. Yeah. But when God is basically making his case for how big I am, yeah. basically, and how small we are, it seems like that's sufficient for Job. Mm. God doesn't actually end up giving him the answer. Job is asking, why? Why is this happening to me? Uh, and God is essentially saying, Job, I, I can answer the question to why you're suffering, but I don't think you can understand. Yeah. Uh, so trust me. Yeah. And I think that's sufficient for him. Yeah. Because you see Job's response at the end in Job 42, 1 through 6. I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me. Like he hears God's response and he's saying, those things are too wonderful for me. Those are, I'm seeing you clearer than just my felt experience. He says, which I did not know. Here and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. And here's where it's just the heavy hitter. Job says, I had heard of you by the hearing of ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I repent in dust and ashes. 
And so when he actually sees how big God is in his experience, he's no longer asked the que- asking the question, why did this happen to me? Mm-hmm. He sees God clearly. Yeah. And that's comforting for him. Well, and it's good to know that that's like after 39 chapters of not seeing him. You exactly. know what I'm saying? So that, that, that's always part of this process for anybody. When you ask that question of why does God allow bad things to happen, well, it all depends on, well, what part of the story are you in right now? Yep. Are you in chapter 7? Are you in chapter 14, 31? Like, like there's so much of this process that it takes. And typically because um, I listened to somebody preach the other day, maybe it's Tim Keller, but talking about how Americans struggle the most with suffering because we are the ones in the world who expect to suffer the least. Yeah. And most of the world actually is, expects suffering, so they actually know how to deal with it better mm-hmm. than we do because they're, they're like, yeah, this world's broken. I, yeah. I have no notion that I'm in charge or in control. Um but there is something about where you are on the story. And so even someone asking that question, to be honest, the way to respond to that question depends on where you're at in the story. Yep. Like, did you just find out something awful happened? Well, you, we should just weep together. There's, yep. just, there's just a, a crying together. Are you post that place and you're asking – because you're right. It starts personal, but it, goes, it gets into the philosophical question. It gets mm-hmm. into the theological. What, what does this mean? But there is something – I think this is the, a unique sort of Christian worldview – is there is something about the presence and person of God that gives clarity that the specificity that I'm after, if I'm in his presence, that actually gives me what I need. Yeah, it's a and relationship. There, there's something about a dynamic mm-hmm. with him that when I interact with him, he enables me to trust him even I don't understand all that he's doing. Because if it if he's an infinite being, I actually can't contain all the knowledge necessary to understand what's happening in any given yeah. moment. But because I'm made for a relationship, I can actually interact with him. And there's something about his presence, something about his 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 person that calms us, that teaches me to trust. And his goodness is that sort of comfort in the midst of lack of clarity. So I think that's where Job is a great example of you go through the whole book and even people who are saying true things about God, it seemingly to to be good to be friends to him end up being rebuked by God. And so in some ways, too, you have God as your protector, too, where he'll protect you from mm, from, from, from false things. He'll, he'll, he'll be the one to validate you, right? Because yep. that, that's part of suffering is it makes you question everything you thought you knew. Yep. There's this unique thing about suffering. It, makes, it unravels everything. And Job is the most righteous dude on the planet. I mean, it says in the first chapter, he's the most righteous dude. And even, even he at the very end is still having to deal with pride he has. Because there's something about suffering, like you said, it unravels us in a way um, that makes us see God in a, there's, I, I wish I was able to see God without suffering, if I'm just being super honest. But it seems like it's every season of suffering where I see him more clearly than I ever did before. Mm-hmm. So this is going to sound nuts, but like, I don't know if I would trade the experience I've gone through mm-hmm. now that I see God clearer. Right, like not not because it's good, right? Uh, but because of what God used it to do. Yeah, it's like how He's pursued me through the suffering yeah. has been an extreme mercy. Because I could have gone years and years and years stuck in the CEO boss mentality mm-hmm. and grown cold and hard. Like those are the things I think He's protecting yeah. me from. Yeah, and even like in my dad's own experience, like after I change his diaper. You know, when he's just at rock bottom, totally humiliated as a person, one of the last conversations I have with them and I ask him, like, would you trade, trade this? And he said, no, (laughs) like, why? Because it, of how much it brought him to trust in God and to realize like, 
I am totally helpless as a person, and this is how God has carried me along my whole life. Mm. And he like experienced mm. that fully. And I'm like just sitting there freaking weeping. Yeah. And he just was like, I can only be dependent upon people now. Mm-hmm. And it makes me that much more dependent upon mm-hmm. God. And so like he was just a worshiper. And so it's so crazy to see like it's so sad, brokenness, death, all of those things are awful, awful, awful. But I find such great hope in like you experience what Romans 8 is talking about that we're more than conquerors. Right. Like the fact that Jesus and God can actually take something like losing a father and going through this awful process of like relearning about myself and God and to come out on the other side to Mm -hmm. see him more clearly. That's like conquering death and using it as a servant for my good. And I can't do that. Yeah. But it's his pursuit of me over the past four years that did that. And that's why I'm like, I don't know if I would trade that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Man, that's so good, y'all. There's something about suffering that takes it from like, that takes our theology and what we think about God and all the things that we learned for however long we've been in church. There's something about that that takes it from just head knowledge to like testing, testing us to see if it's actually in our heart. Um, I think a really good example of that is even learning about the doctrine of things like providence uh, through our theology classes and whatnot. It's one thing to learn that doctrine and see where it is in the scriptures, but it's another thing to actually experience uh, suffering in your life and wrestle with the idea that God is supposed to be a good father, yet he's allowed suffering in our lives. Mm -hmm. So there's something about suffering that is a fire and refines us and actually grows us to be more mature in our faith. Uh, but a lot of times um, what I've seen is that suffering has actually pushed people away from yeah. things like God and the church. So uh, if if suffering should be this refining process, as we see in the Bible and as we see from uh, you guys just talking about it, uh, why are there so many people who maybe leave the church or walk away from Jesus and stop trusting in Jesus? Why are there so many people who've done that because of suffering? I think there are two ditches that I think that can, when you're thinking about, you know, God's control and evil and sin and brokenness and all these things while God being good and how you like organize that, I think there are two lenses that can get you in a difficult spot. And one of them is if you view like at the center of human history are humans, right? Like, so if we have an over heightened view of who we are in the story, uh, but realizing that like the first four words of the Bible, in the beginning, God. Mm -hmm. So like it puts him at the center Mm -hmm. of it all. And so, yeah, when you put yourself at the the center of the story, then yeah, you're going to have this experience and it's going to feel very personal when really like, no, my life is entirely centered on him, right? And it's about him and it's not about me. And then I think the second one is to your point of if we expect goodness, like if our default uh, disposition is like, I'm entitled to not suffer or I'm entitled to only good things when I'm a sinful, broken person in a sinful, broken world interacting with sinful, broken people. Mm -hmm. And I have been given moral agency. Like I have, um, I'm a moral, willful being created in God's image and suffering happens to me at the hands of other people. And I hurt people and the world is 
fallen and wicked. And yeah. so if I remove that from the table too, well, then I'm just left with, with God and I just point a finger, but it's r- kind of rooted in me not actually having a right view of who he is and his role in the story. Mm-hmm. Well, what suffering does too is when people walk away, so I think one thing is, is important to note, suffering is revealing. Um, it may refine or it may reveal what was there, right? Mm-hmm. And so suffering, like like the fire sort of analogy, it burns through and it tests and it reveals. And everybody, doesn't matter what you believe about Jesus, when you go through suffering, there are things that are revealed about you that are not pretty. There are things that are revealed about you that are weak, things are revealed about you that you've been holding on to that you didn't know you were holding on to mm-hmm. until that suffering came. And so that's part of it. And all the other part of it is, again, I, I have to emphasize it over and over again, especially for college students who are listening and the younger you are, stories are long. And when you when we start saying that person walked away and they're forever mm-hmm. gone, that's not true because mm-hmm. we've all had seasons. We've had I've had days, you know, where you, you go, man, I, I was in a funk for three days there. And for some reason, I woke up on the fourth day and I wanted to love Jesus. Why? Because God kept pursuing me. Yeah. It wasn't because I was so godly or faithful. So I think it's important that we don't give up on people because they, because if because truthfully, there's people I know listens to this who had awful experiences or sinned against by the church. Yeah, if that happened to me, I'd probably walk away for a little bit too. Mm-hmm. You know, like, but it doesn't mean the story's over. Um, but I think too on, on this question. So I think you answered it from like a, the Christian kind of worldview. But I think it's fascinating for even non-believers who go through suffering. Suffering is this thing that reveals in us that we really miss Eden, no matter what you believe, yeah. and we really do think good is coming in the future. It's a strange kind of thing where people, like, because suffering always reveals it's wrong to lose good things. Hmm. But that whole statement yeah. is rooted in moral things that only God yeah. could give. But even non-believers have to say, suffering shows you there's good in the world, hmm. and it's awful to lose good things. Mm. And why is there thing good thing? Because without God, there's no good or bad. There's no evil and justice. Yeah. Nothing. It's just. It's just. Honestly, you're like a wildebeest who lost somebody. There's no difference. You're just a more complex yep. organism. But there's no difference. Which, to be honest, that's a terrifying world to live in. Like, can you imagine? Well, if, nobody believes it. Uh, right. But yeah. like, can you imagine if if bad things could could just happen for no reason, no yep. purpose? No hope. Like, well, and, and there's nothing really to grieve because it yeah. wasn't anything anyway. Mm. And so when, when you're grieving something, what, what are we talking about? We were talking about WandaVision. Uh, and yeah. and was, like, <laughs> was talking about how, how like grief is love persisting kind of thing. Yeah. Something like that? Yeah, something like something that. Something like that. So, Honestly, it, it was a robot who said it, so it was probably <laughs> true. Um, they but feel really deep. Yeah, honestly, Vision gets it. Yeah. But I— all to say is I think even you see it in non-believers when they when they lose, this is good for Christians who are struggling mm-hmm. with faith to go, the reason there's grief is because something in them knows it's wrong to lose a father. It's wrong mm-hmm. to lose, it's wrong to be abused. But how did why is that? Because you're made for Eden. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And everyone's trying to get back. Right? Everybody knows it should not be this it way. It shouldn't be this way, but why? Well, the Christian worldview is saying, because we all are made with that sort of imprint from Adam on us, where we know I'm made for a place not like this. Yep. And this is why we want to, because this is what, what can happen is when you see God is allowing suffering, it can make you, uh, you know, fatalistic. Like, well, mm. I'll just just endure to heaven. But all of us know there's actually a world coming that's going to be good that actually refines but honors this one too. So everyone's working towards a future they want to build where goodness exists because deep down in their souls, they know God's yeah. coming back. But the Christian worldview brings explanation to this like nothing else. And so suffering is this opportunity 
opportunity is probably the wrong word, but it, but it is it's refining and revealing. And so when mm-hmm. people walk away, or when I've struggled and I've had suffering in my life, and I wrestle with God, um, there are moments where you have to recognize the only reason I'm still here by God is because He kept me. Mm-hmm. That that's the humbling thing for Christians is every Christian who's sober minded at all will look back at their lives and say, I did not hold on to God. He held on to me. 100%. You know what I'm saying? Like there, there's, and it helps suffering becomes a, a humbling thing to go. The only reason I stayed after whatever the loss may be, whatever the hurt or pain may be, God held on to me. And that's where Jesus suffering and dying is the best. For, for me, honestly, there's philosophical, there's all the theological arguments. To me, Jesus is the best argument. The mm-hmm. fact that God suffered when yeah. he didn't have to, that that has done more for my soul with with both honestly theoretical or worldwide suffering or personal suffering. The thing that has steadied my heart the most has not even been that the God's coming back. It mm-hmm. really has been he suffered when he didn't have to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because he wanted to be with us. And the that is this testimony of I have a mediator, I have a savior, I have a leader who actually willingly lost and willingly suffered when he didn't have to. And I'm, I would never choose. You would never choose. I mean, maybe in retrospect, you would choose yeah. the way God used yeah. it, right? But you would never say, well, if you could pick a different way, I'd take it, yep. right? If you could accomplish the same purpose in me without my dad passing away, I'd take it, mm-hmm. right? But God is is actually a suffering God and that he came to us in that way. So mm-hmm. I, th- I think that refining aspect of it is tough for all of us to process through. And I think we only give give people time and space mm-hmm. to sometimes not 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 that we're okay people leaving the church or leaving the faith, but there is a nature of, man, it's hard. Yeah. And if you haven't been through really difficult suffering, it is really difficult to understand why is that rocking you the way that it is? Mm-hmm. Like why until and until something hits you, yeah. all of a sudden you go, dude, I get it. Yeah, it's like Job's wife. Right. Think mm-hmm. about her felt experience of all the loss that she has. And yeah. like we read her as kind of like the villain in the story in the beginning, yeah. like curse God and die. And you're like, dang, she's in a bad spot. But <laughs> you're like, can you like empathize with her for a second? She mm-hmm. just lost everything, mm-hmm. everything. That is a very yeah. normal response, yeah. especially when you know that there is a God that's in control. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so like her story is not over from that point, though, you know, like mm-hmm. and that's for something helpful for us to know that when you're going through people who go through extreme suffering, it's going to be this very disorienting. Like they're going to say and believe things that you're like, yeah. that's not right. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. But God's going to hold on to them. Yeah. Right. And he's going to pursue them and they're going to learn from that. And so being patient with people who are suffering, who mm-hmm. make bonkers statements, right. Or act like they're leaving the way you have no idea how God is actually going to bring them back and help them see themselves and God more clearly on the other side. Hmm. Y'all, when I go through trial, suffering, or whatever, like I, I find myself to be, um, to be really mad at God. In all honesty, to have mm-hmm. anger towards God, um, and I even remember this having this feeling even before I even knew God mm-hmm. personally through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Like I would be mad. I would be mad at God. Mm-hmm. And then later after I came to know Jesus when I was 18 and then like processed through some of those experiences later, something I realized was that like, I think like I knew mm-hmm. deep in my heart that there was a God. Yeah. And yeah. I think I was mad at God, like interpreting that experience that I had when I was younger. Um, 
And so when we think about even that term, like being mad at God, like I've heard different perspectives, like some people are like, man, it's okay to be angry at God. Um, That shows that you have a relationship with him. Uh, But then I've seen some people say like, hey, like it's not okay to be angry at God because like he's perfect. He's good. Um, What advice would you give to someone who's wrestling with like being angry at God because they're suffering? Yeah, I think there's definitely place for you to be angry at God mm-hmm. and to express that. And the Bible's filled with places like that. I mean, Habakkuk being one of them where he's furious that the injustice is happening towards God's people, right? And he like is expressing deep anger. And you see another response where God says like, hey, I'm I'm doing a work among you that you wouldn't understand if I told you. But like God allows himself to like be hit by Mm -hmm. his people because he already knows, like he already knows it's in your heart. And Mm -hmm. so if anything, you actually taking that to him is where the conflict resolution can actually start. Um, And so it's this idea of like when you go through a personal experience and it's disorienting because I've known this thing to be true, that God is good, but I just went through this experience that's really bad. You have two options. You can actually like uh, deconstruct your faith in a way like— I just had a spiritual, like, cognitive dissonance. What I knew to be true is different from my experience. You can actually take that away from God, mm-hmm. or you can take it to Him. Mm. And you have to take it to Him and start with your felt experience. And God, why are you doing this? Being, like, the the honest, vulnerable, your felt experience to Him is a very good place to start. Mm. Well, and I think even, maybe even the question of, is it right to be angry with God? I, I think— I would want to reframe the question because it's hard to say because it depends on what we're talking about, mm-hmm. right? I think the right, right is probably the wrong way to think about it because you can be angry at God and be wrong. It's like, should, it, but I think you should be honest. Mm-hmm. So I think honesty is what I would say is yeah. right. Um, but I think honesty and humility combined to be able to say, I can be honest and humble about the fact that what I'm saying right now that I feel is wrong, but I feel it. And this is where... The, the thing thing we need so desperately is to learn how to grow, particularly in the scriptures and how we think about ourselves and God. I, my practical application would be immerse yourself in the Psalms because the, the Psalms is the, the book of the Bible that takes what does an emotional and theological life look like together? That's what the Psalms are. It's how, how do you take strong, intense emotions and wrap them up in the truths of who God is. That, that's why for all the anger, like, why God, where are you? Every psalm other than one ends with hope. Yeah. Because there is a sense of the Christian Christians mourn differently than people. We, we, we don't mourn as those who don't have hope. We, mm-hmm. we're, we're not angry as those who don't, who don't have a hope in the future or God is in control. And in some ways, having a God is in control makes you angrier because you know it didn't have yeah. necessarily to be this way, mm-hmm. right? There actually is, is an intensity felt because of the fact that God's sovereign. That's why the psalmists are like, no, no, you made promises. Where are they? Yeah. Right? But I think that's where we we should distrust our emotions to say this is right, but I should be honest about my emotions so he can tell me what to do with them. Yeah. And so I, I think the, the psalms, honestly, reading one psalm every day, just make it part of your Bible reading plan if you're actually serious about because most of the time people ask questions like that and I don't know that they want a, a real like f- like formation yeah. answer. I just just tell me I can yell at God. I'm like, well, 
I don't think just yelling, I mean, in any relationship, I don't think just yelling at people is always constructive. I think that if, mm-hmm. if you're going into, I want to yell so I can be honest and have you speak to me, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I just want to yell so I can show how justified I am, that's a different thing, right? Mm-hmm. So that's where the, the, the Psalms are helpful because there's the, psalm, the psalmists are, they're too honest sometimes. You're like, I wouldn't, yep. have, I wouldn't have written that down in the Bible about wanting their t- the, their children to be crushed. You're mm-hmm. like, whoa, that's yep. an intense, right? But there's a level of honesty in the Psalms because they're bringing it under God's hand and under God's word. And so that, that'd be my, my piece of uh, how to answer that question is that's helped me a lot to know how do you express joy in God? How do you express sadness in God? How do you express anger in God? And how do you have it come under him instead of trying to shout on top of him? Does that make sense? Like yep. I, I want to bring it under God and have him t- teach me, mold me, instead of I want to shout over him to say, you submit to me and do what I say, because that's not a relationship. That's me mm-hmm. telling him what to do. A real relationship is you can be you can be so honest, but you're humble in the process. Yep. That's so good, y'all. Um, yeah, I know that's something I struggle with a lot, whether it be wanting to justify myself before God, yeah. when that's not really my place. Um that's when, you know, I look to or remember passages like in Job when God is like, where were you when I did this and did that? And I'm like, man, I wasn't there. <laughs> um, and, I didn't make no uh, goats. Yeah. yeah, but what's so awesome about <laughs> that is that— game. Yeah, I was watching Endgame somewhere probably. <laughs> uh, what, what's, what's so awesome about that, though, is that, like, even when he was creating all things, the Bible says that he knew me Yeah, when he was forming me. And he would even know, he, he even knew like what I would be going through right now. Um, so in the realest way, he's been on my side and for me um, before anyone else had any thought about me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's beautiful um, about our relationship with the Lord, but also it makes it complex. Like I think a lot mm-hmm. of us grow up in churches or uh, with a Christian worldview that uh, makes us think that, you know, a relationship with God should just be happy. And we walk around, you know, yeah. like, man, skipping. And because, you know, this is the day the Lord has made all <laughs> those different things. But Tyler, you're right. In the Psalms, like, man, it gets super real. Mm-hmm. And Psalms, all the Psalms are not great verses to put on a shirt or a coffee mug. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they are people who are really crushed and afflicted. Uh, and then at the end, yep. they always bring it to, but I'm going to hope in you. Yep. Like, I will wait on you, God. Yep. Um, so so for me, and I know many of us listening to this right now, like, it's really hard to get there practically. Yep. Like, we have the head knowledge of, like, okay, like, I know God has formed me. I know he's wonderfully made me, all these different things. But what about our hearts? Like, why are our hearts so slow to catch up? And what do we do when we're in that kind of part uh, in our narrative? I like how y'all yeah. said earlier, like, when we're in the book of Job, but like maybe at like chapter six, yeah. uh, we're, we're like in chapter six right now. Yeah. Like, what should I do as a person who know that Jesus came, lived the life I should have lived, died the death I should have died, rose from the grave, ascended to heaven, put his Holy Spirit in me, and he's coming back to change everything and make all the wrongs right. But now that I'm in the already but not yet, yeah. what should I do if I'm experiencing so much suffering that it's even hard to like feel who God is in my heart. Yeah. I think you have to provide yourself the space to like really acknowledge the full extent of what you're going through mm-hmm. and like be honest with how that's affecting you to not like, 
undermine or cut short how bad it might actually be. Yeah. I think that if God wants to provide you comfort, if he is the God of all comfort, then he wants to give that comfort deep, deep, deep to where the pain actually is, mm. right? So let yourself, like, experience that. Don't don't run from it. Like, your heart is, is a feeling thing, right? It is uh, emotive. And so that was where I did myself a disservice that first year. I just didn't think about it. I didn't let my heart catch up at all. And I think that made stuff in my, the past few years, like more visceral, right? Um, that I had to do a lot of catch up and it felt like whiplash. And so I think having community that can help you process these things is like incredibly important. Mm -hmm. Having people who ask you like really thoughtful questions. Um, I remember there were multiple times where Jenny would just out of the blue ask like, Hey, how are you doing? with thinking about your dad. And it would just feel like we're getting on I-35. And I'd be like, hmm, haven't thought about this in a long time, but it yeah. was good for me because I had to go, how am I actually doing? And so, um, yeah, I think it's those two things, like let yourself feel fully, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think, I, again, I would go back to the Psalms um, because the Psalms are they're ending usually in, in between, right? The The... The psalmists are banking on the promises of God to Israel, and they're wondering, where are you? So what do you do when—so if someone's in Job 6, the faith that we have says that when God shows up in Job 39 through 41 or 41 through 42, whatever the chapters are, his word to me will steady me. He will speak to me in such a way where he can steady my deepest sorrows. But he hasn't spoken that word yet, and I'm— what do I do? The psalmist constantly say, I'm going to wait yeah. on you. But waiting on God does not mean inaction. Waiting on God is I'm not going to let a lack of voice from you to steady me justify disobeying you what I know you've already spoken. And so one of the things I find interesting, and I just had this experience a couple days ago, where people want to hear God's word speak to them and steady them and change them. But when you're ignoring his word everywhere else, it's hard to have his word affect you where you need him most. Mm -hmm. So if you're not letting him speak to you and how you live your life and the community you have and the way you practice with your money and all the other things that he talks about, sexual ethic, whatever, maybe race, whatever the conversation may be, if I don't listen to your word in all areas of my life, then when you speak your word to me in the area where I feel the need the most, it won't hit the same way because mm -hmm. I actually don't care about your word. I care about you changing me. Yeah. And so there is a waiting on him where I, where I have to say, God, you have not fulfilled this promise I see in the scriptures. You have not fulfilled comfort. You have not fulfilled taking away um, the tears from my eye because you're not back yet. So what do I do? I'm going to be faithful to what you called me to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to, and when you're suffering, you have to know that means you're going to be weaker than you're used to. And we've said it a hundred times in this podcast, and I'll keep saying it. Weakness is not sin. Mm -hmm. And so when you're weak, things that used to be easy to you are hard to you. Mm -hmm. When you're weary, things that came natural now are uh, burdensome in a way. And waiting on God is saying, okay, maybe I, I see in my life where I could read four chapters of the Bible a day and I felt great about it. And I feel so overwhelmed that a chapter feels like I can't even imagine doing it. Mm -hmm. well, then read a chapter. Read a paragraph, read a verse, right? 
But there is this waiting on, but I'm going to stay faithful in what I can. This is why the church, one of the things the church does when you actually embed yourself in her, she keeps you when you can't keep yourself. Yeah. There's something about the church that yeah, it, it's, a, really it's, it's able to keep you when you're like, I can't keep me. I want to roll. When, you have, you, when you've actually poured your life into a community of people, they can – we've all – all three of us had this experience. We have people being like, I know you want to roll. We both know that's mm-hmm. dumb, and I'm with you. Mm-hmm. There's something about the steadiness of God's people for all of their flaws. But this is, this is, this is what we've been talking about this whole year. You tearing down the church is tearing down the very thing God gave to you to keep you. Yeah. Mm. You need this people in your life. And they're not the people you would have chosen. They're ne- they never are, right? Your best friends when you first meet them are never the people that you think they're going to be, right? But there is a nature of the church that – so when I wait on the Lord, I wait on him with his people. I, and that's what the psalmist always do. They're like, I'm going back into worship, right? You read yeah. Psalm 73. He's like, where are you going? Sanctuary because I don't know where, yep. <laughs> where else to go because where else is God going to talk to me? And the church not just being a Sunday service but the people of God rooted in his word following his spirit, right? So that, that's what I think that, that psalmist piece has been huge for me in my seasons of suffering is to say I have to wait. And waiting means I don't determine when that should be done. Yeah, well, like biblical waiting means like you're watchful. Yeah. There's something in particular you're waiting and looking for, yeah. whether it be God to speak whatever that promise is or do whatever he has promised. And so the watchfulness happens through the means of grace that he's giving yeah. you. It's God's people. It's corporate worship. It's the Sunday service. It's all those things. And yeah. so at the end of the day, if you're like, I don't want those things, well, then first thing I confess is like, God, I wish you had done it different, you yeah. know? Yeah. But What's interesting is that, like, in this question, if God is good, why do bad things happen? You're acknowledging that, like, he was in control of the bad thing. But he's also in control of the way to give you comfort, you know? And he makes it very clear about those things, his people, his word, prayer, you know, those types of things. And so you have to take his sources of comfort and actually to see that wading through. Yeah. And Tyler, you say this all the time that if, you know, there was a pill to take to make— these things go away that uh, we would definitely take it. Um, but, uh, man, God has made it um, and by his sovereign will that, like, suffering would be something uh, to not just refine us but renew us, renew our hearts um, and love him more. Like, mm-hmm. I think of when David uh, is writing about um, uh, in the Psalms after, uh, I think it's Psalm 51. Yeah. After Nathan rebukes him and uh, he's repenting about what he did um, to his best friend and his best friend's wife. And he says, restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. That means that there was a joy to salvation that we experienced but aren't experiencing right now. And... Like, even though this entire situation, this, what, what David was going through right here, that's totally his fault. It wasn't, you know, somebody um, uh, sinned against him or it wasn't like infliction from the fallen world. It was his own sin. But I love how he says that, like, God, you can restore to me the joy that I felt when I was leading your people, um, when I was worshiping you. And I think of Psalms like Psalm 42, which is one of my favorite songs. Yeah. Um, And I've said this on a podcast before, but one of my biggest struggles uh, in life um, is just 
man, mental health. Um, I've struggled with depression and anxiety for a very long time. And Psalm 42 is one of those psalms that I remembered uh, my sophomore year of college to um, help me in this. And it's not a psalm of David, but it's a psalmist. And he's saying over and over and over again, uh, and he's he's talking to himself. He says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Right. And why are you in turmoil within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And you hear him repeat that two to three times throughout that entire psalm. Um, and it's beautiful. You can almost picture someone just like kind of like beating their chest, like telling their heart to like, listen, listen, yeah. listen to this, believe in this, believe in this, believe in this. And I found so many times when I don't have the energy to read the word or pray, man, even that small text uh, to community asking them like for help. Yeah. Um, even not kneeling by the bed and just asking God to just help me when I'm in the middle of my own suffering, my yeah. own hardship, man, God has like come through every single time. And, and we know that God like will restore to us the joy of our salvation that we may not be feeling or experiencing right now, but we know that he can. And so that's the thing about it like his control and his sovereignty. Um, but yeah, I love that Psalm 42 passage. And I just recommend that to anyone listening for, for you to remember those stanzas. Yeah. So when, when thinking about all of this, like we've all gone through our own suffering, we've all been there for people in their suffering. Uh, what are things that you said that you would tell other people not to say to someone when they're going through suffering? Or what is what are things that people have told you when you've gone through suffering that you would not recommend to anyone on here to say? So basically, what should I not say to someone who's experienced loss or going through hardship? Mm -hmm. These are all tested of my own experience of things I will not do again. Mm -hmm. um, first one is uh, don't teach them. Mm -hmm. Don't teach them. Just comfort them. Don't just comfort them. When you're suffering or with somebody who's suffering, they're going to say things that are wrong. They're going to say things that both like to their experience or are untrue or like, did that actually happen? Or to God, like theologically wrong. And that's okay because they're living in their felt experience. And I think what you can do is just make note of the things that they said, right? And then at a later time, six months, a year and say, hey, uh, you made this statement six months ago, and I was just curious, is that still how you feel, right? And mm, let it be a, a better time. There's a better time for it. So just be there and comfort them. Don't hide from people who are suffering. Don't hide from them. Like I know it mm. feels like you might not want to approach them because it walk on eggshells or you're afraid. Um, and so oftentimes we won't reach out because of that, but I think that's hurtful. Like your absence mm. is is actually hurtful. And yeah. so just be there. Just be there. You don't have to go in with an agenda. Just be a friend. Um, don't ever say that it's because of sin or a specific reason if it's not very clear based on God's word. Uh, don't say that God is judging them or God's rebuking mm -hmm. them. You do not know that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You don't know that. And so that's a big no-no. I also put a don't minimize their pain based on your personal experiences. Mm. Right. So it's possible that just because someone is going through something that wouldn't be hard for you if you were going through that, or if you've gone through something that's like objectively harder, that doesn't mean that their experience isn't real. Yeah. And that I, they they are really feeling it deeply. Yeah. I 
totally, this is the one that I get wrong most of the time. So some people know my story, but a, a big part of my story is literally like not evacuating for Hurricane Katrina and like losing literally everything and being trapped for four days. So when people, you know, even even if they were to talk to me about, you know, their dog dying, I know on paper, it's like, these are two totally different things. Yeah. Yeah. But my sinfulness wants me to, yeah. in a way, judge them for, you know, weeping over something that probably I did not have the emotional health to weep over, uh, especially when it comes to thinking about my past and all that trauma that comes with Hurricane Katrina and that experience. Like, like it's hard for me to even look back on that and cry and shed tears for that, but this person's shedding tears for their dog that they had for, you know, 12 years or whatever. Um, but, like, but, yeah, it's not, it. while it's not the same thing, like, that doesn't make me a good person to judge uh, whether or not they should mourn over that or whether or not that is a trial for them. So I uh, know that's like, you know, yeah. a super far, far right, far left example. Um, but I mean, yeah, I've, hey, I'm, I'm totally guilty of Eli it. Eli is, I mean, how, how old is Eli your dog now? Eli's eight and a half. So just be, be. Dude, when that dog dies, I'm, I'm going to need you by my side because yeah. that's going to be a tough deal. Yeah, you yeah, love bro. Eli. Well, well uh, I'll work on that. Did, did you have two more? Yep. Uh, don't make promises. Don't make promises. So, like, we'll feel this impulse to, like, want to, like, provide hope. Like, yeah. everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Or it'll work out. Yeah. And you just, you don't yeah. know that. Yeah. Obviously, make promises based on God's word. But I'm saying, like, don't <laughs> offer those false hope kinds mm. of promises. Don't say any any promises from God, from anybody. <laughs> That's right. Just don't say Just it. shut up. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm basically saying. But no, but we feel this impulse of, like, we want to comfort to, like, yeah. give them hope. And we'll say things like, everything will be okay. Yeah. And it could yeah. get worse. Can, it, can I add one? All of, I agree with every single one of those. Can I add one massive caveat? Sure. So here's my experience. No. In this year. That's <laughs> <laughs> my shit, buddy. Yeah. I'm the guest. We do what I want to do. I, I want to add one, one massive caveat because here, here's something I have noticed, though. So this is all true, right? You need to be – you need to come in and be helpful. But it's a Christian trope now to, like, anyone who comes in and doesn't handle someone suffering perfectly, they can never talk again. Yeah. Mm. And what I want to say is here's what I've noticed. People who are suffering – as soon as anyone does one of those things incorrectly, they, they pull away and say, then I no longer can be helped by mm. you. And so what sufferers end up doing is they end up isolating themselves because they're saying, if, if no one can do this to me in the way that that should be done, then I refuse to be comforted by yeah. them. Yep. And what I would say is everybody, both the su person who's suffering and the person who's, who's looking to help, it is a messy messy process. Here's what you don't need to do. Pull away from each other in any form or fashion. Yeah. And, and that's what I've, I've seen happen in this space is everyone has expectations on the other because here's what we all want. Fix it now. Yeah. Everybody. Sufferer, person being the comforter. Everyone's like, let's solve this problem so we can have this conversation one time. And the sufferer is like, you didn't help me the way that I needed. And what, based on what? I still feel sad. If you're suffering real loss, you have to know there are words that you need that only God can say to you. And the, and the person who you love, the, they can give you the best presence. They can give you everything perfect, and you still feel like it's lacking because it is, yep. because it is. And so I, I, I just I, I hear all those things, but what I've started to notice in people is we have expectations for what it means for me to be comforted that are so high that they end up pulling themselves away from those who could comfort them because they're scared of yeah. being hurt. Yeah. But that's whole part of it is like – so that, that's what I would just say is – 
anything really that, that moves you into isolation, you're, I think you're doing it wrong. Now, people can really hurt and say mean things, but then that's how you have a relationship and say, I mean, I've had people say stuff to me when I'm suffering. I'm like, that's the worst thing you could ever say to a person. But my, but the idea of pulling away from them is actually the, the least helpful thing I could do. I need to lean in and go, hey, when you said that, it was really hard for me to hear that. I know you probably did. Because most people, if you're suffering and people are trying to comfort you, to be really honest, 99% of people are not trying to hurt you. They're yeah. trying to help you. They don't know what to do. They don't know what you need. Mm-hmm. Because like you said, Mitchell, they may never have had your experience before. Mm-hmm. I may have no idea what's like to, to go through Katrina, but to, just, to, to look at you and go, I don't know, so I'll just not say anything, yeah. mm-hmm. or I just won't be or be near you. Like, hey, why are you all in my space? Like, I don't know what to. I, yeah. And that's why we need to have grace for each other in the midst of suffering, because everyone's disoriented. Everybody. Yeah. And so I, I just just to that, yeah. I, I agree with all those things you said, but I've noticed this this trend a little bit where I've seen people who really need to be comforted pull away so yeah. far because they want the perfect comfort. I'm like, he ain't here right now. Yeah. yeah. He and he's in heaven, and his Holy Spirit's here. But there are just words that he's got to say to me that everyone's going to be lacking at some level. Which means to be a good sufferer requires humility and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. Because like, it, just, it just takes time. Yep. And but, you have to know that the people who are trying to comfort you also need yeah, humility that's right. and the Holy Spirit. And it's just so, a mess. Yep. It's it just is, a mess. It is an absolute mess. It, it, I mean, if we can say anything to anybody, it's like, this is a mess. Mm-hmm. There's one person who did it right. Everybody else is a mess. And that, that's what I would, honestly, if I could tell anybody anything, if you're not going through suffering right now, if you have an expectation that this shouldn't be messy, you're making an incredibly difficult situation even harder for, with your expectations. Yeah. yeah. Is it going to be, it's going to be really messy and Jesus will, will, he'll use people's words who you don't even like. You know, man, that really comforted yep. me. I wish it wouldn't come for that person. I wish it would have came through somebody else, mm-hmm. but that would really help me. You know, like th- that's just the way the Holy Spirit works. Yeah, James uh, says that um, in James chapter 1 that we should count it all joy when we face trials of various kinds. And I talk to um, our student leaders about this literally all the time. Uh, But, you know, he says when, not if. Yeah. Like he says when they come. So in a way, if we haven't been through uh, suffering in our own lives, like it's probably coming for us. It's probably— pending. Um, so so living a Christian life doesn't mean that we won't have hardships or trials or suffering, but living a Christian life does mean we will have hope. Uh, I love um, in Romans uh, 5, 3, um, when Paul says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Um, so like, even though, uh, you know, we see that there's suffering and that exists, uh, we also should be comforted in knowing that eventually it's producing this hope in us through this chain that we see in Romans 5, 3, that, that suffering produces endurance. So um, for one of our last questions, Marsha, I would love to hear from you. Uh, when will suffering end? If that's something that we should be ready for that's pending for us in this life as believers, when will it all end? New heavens and new earth. So when Jesus comes back um, and Revelation 21 says, Behold, a loud voice from the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Hmm. 
the dwelling place of God is among men and he will be his people and God himself will dwell among them and he will wipe away every tear from their eye. Mm. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning nor crying nor pain for these things have passed away. And I love that. Mm. that like using death language to yeah. death yeah. is so powerful yeah. that there's a total resolve to all of it and that there's not going to be any worry that it would come back at any point in the future for all of eternity. Yeah. So until then, we endure faithfully. How does that make you feel, knowing that truth, but then relating it to the story you talked to us about earlier with your dad? It will, it will come full circle, mm. knowing especially that my dad uh, is in the presence of God mm -hmm. and— particularly with his situation, like where the last I saw him was his body just withered away. He will be walking, mm. resurrected. Amen. He will be my brother forever as common sons of God. And like that, that like fills me up yeah. Amen. a lot. Yeah. And that's the promise that Jesus is making. And he, he puts his own reputation on the line. Mm. He says, write this down mm -hmm. for these words are faithful and true. Mm -hmm. I am making all things new. And that has to happen. Yeah. Like, yeah. otherwise he's not God. And so I look at that and I go, okay, that is my future. Mm. Yeah. I don't know exactly when, but I know yeah. it is certain. And, and that's what makes the gospel so unique and valuable because it's for a while we should strive for good things here. We should strive for things like justice and all the things we should do here what the good news of the gospel tells us, there is a level of all those things that we want that we can never achieve until Jesus, Jesus comes back. And that has to do something to why we preach the gospel to people. This is why we evangelize. This is why we want people to believe in Jesus. Is because I heard someone say, we exist to end all suffering, especially eternal, right? Like mm -hmm. we, we exist to like, let's push back every bit of suffering in the world, but especially that suffering, which is eternal, especially that joy that's eternal. And I think it's important for sufferers and for and everyone in this world is a sufferer at some level to see this, the, the story of God making all things new. At the center of it is a crucified Savior. Yeah. It's a suffering mm -hmm. Savior who's overcome suffering. At the center of what God is working is he actually is undoing suffering by suffering himself. Yep. He's undoing death by dying himself. He's undoing all the, the sorrow and calamity of this world by going through it himself and then undoing it. Yeah. And that should make—that that warms us in a way. It just does to me that my heart to say he, when he makes all things new, it'll be a story that I can't, I can't even yeah. imagine. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine— the level of restoration is going to happen. And so that that's where for us, that's why the gospel always has this proclamation element to it because there is a level of goodness and life and joy that he's bringing that when you die, you're present with the Lord. So that's when, when suffering ends. When, well, when you die, there, your suffering is done, but you're not renewed in all the ways you will be. You're mm -hmm. not resurrected in all the ways that you right. will be. But I do think it's it's good for us to look at, man, at the center of history is a crucified and risen lamb. Yeah. Like it, it, it's him and he's both and he's meant to be both. He's meant to be, this is what he went to, to take us back, to make us new, to get us back to Eden. This, this human project that every human being, every worldview, every system, every macro level sort of vision for the world, they all just want Eden back. That's what they want. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to bring something even better than Eden. 
I'm not taking you back to something brand new because Eden apparently could be corrupted. This new heavens, new earth, your new body, it can't. Yeah. And so I think that that's the hope of it is, is we have a suffering Messiah who overcame. And we have to be a people with the resurrection has got to shift how we view the world. There's got to be a way where we don't mourn like other people. We don't rage like other people. We, we don't get frustrated like other people because we have resurrection hope. Yeah. There's a level of joy to us that doesn't make a bit of sense based on circumstances or what's going on in the world around us. Why? Not because I'm godlier. Not because I'm better than people. I have an empty tomb telling me this does not end in yeah. hopelessness. It ends in actual life. And he suffered just like us, more than us, so we could be with him in that way. And like looking to Jesus, not only for like being crucified for our sin, but that verse, Isaiah 53, he bore our griefs mm -hmm. and carried our sorrows. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Mm -hmm. Like think about what that dude actually carried for us. Yeah. So if we're talking about this experience of suffering and the grief and the pain that that comes with it, saying he bore those griefs yeah. and carried those sorrows yeah. with him on the cross. On top of that, all of our sin, that was put in the grave. Yeah. And then that came out. Yeah. Like that Jesus came out. And so, yeah, it gives you all the hope that like my sorrows went to the grave, my griefs went to the grave, yeah. my sin went to the grave. And he came out on the other side, yep. fully mm -hmm. resurrected. And so you look to that picture of Jesus and you're like, the dude's just a baller. Yeah. And I want to worship that, that, that guy. That's why he's center. That's why he's oh, just good by him. Dude, he's the best. And that's where Christians can do a unique thing. I think this may be just a, as a closing sort of thought for me. There is something about Christians going through suffering that showcases to the world something unique about who Jesus is. Because that is the place where all all sort of trite hallmark answers go to die in suffering. Yeah. They, they, they can't stand up in it because yeah. it's too hard. It's too difficult. It's too awful. And we have someone – we can't stand up either. We have someone who does stand up, right? He does – he is strong enough to overcome it. Mm -hmm. But I do think for, our, for Christians listening to this, I think when fiery trials come upon you, I think mm -hmm. that there is a hope that we can have in the midst of it that shows, shows the world there's something different. Yeah. Something different. Yeah. That's so good, y'all. Um, this verse, Hebrews 12, 3 says to consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. So like the writer of Hebrews is talking about like remembering what Jesus has done, remember, remembering who he is and remembering the promises, um, that he's already banked. Um, man, it's so good. Uh, when we're weary and faint-hearted to just even remember the good news that we're talking about right now, what Jesus has done for us, it's not just the ABCs of what we believe as believers. It's something that we need to be preaching to ourselves every oh, yeah. single day. It's something that we need to stake um, our lives on. This good news of Jesus, the gospel. So, um, Marshall, bro, thanks for being on yeah, here uh, with us and just being so open, um, but also giving so much hope to our people, the people listening. Man, do you have one final word for them? And then also um, specifically one final word for our people who might be experiencing um, their Job 2, Job 3 moment right yeah. now. That's like in uh, the midst of extreme suffering and pain and asking questions about God. So is there one thing, um, one final thing you want to say to them? And then also, can you pray for them? Yeah. And that's how we'll end. Yeah, I would say Jesus sees you. Like he's, he knows exactly where you are in this moment. And 
there are going to be times where it might feel lonely, but you have like the most loving, powerful person in all of the universe whose eyes are uniquely like fixed on you. Mm. Uh, and to hope in the like later parts of the story. Like if you're in your Job 2, Job 3, it, it'll resolve with you seeing God more clearly uh, in this life and then in ultimately, like mm-hmm. not by faith, but actual sight, you will be like him. Your body will be renewed. Your mind will be renewed. Whatever the suffering is, your heart will be renewed. You will be perfected mm-hmm. and to endure, Yeah, to endure well. Um, and then secondly, uh, suffer in community. Like, ask for help. Ask for help. Ask for prayer. Um, there are people in your community that love you. Mm-hmm. We have people in our church that love you and would be honored to, at bare minimum, just sit with you, pray with you, do whatever that would serve you. You were not meant to suffer in isolation. Mm. So good. Yeah. Yeah. Can you pray for us? Absolutely. Um, yeah, God, I'm praying for anybody who right now feels like they're going through just the worst time in their life. Mm. Um, I'm praying to you because you are the God of all comfort and there is no comfort apart from you. And so I pray that you would fill, um, whoever needs it to hear this with your Holy Spirit, God, and would you just be kind and gracious to them? Yeah. Would you draw near to them? Would they feel your presence right now? Mm-hmm. Uh, would they um, have promises from your word come to mind? Would they have moments of your faithfulness in the past come to mind? And they would say, even though this is so hard, I know I can trust you, God. Amen. Yeah. And would they bank their lives on your faithfulness and your goodness? knowing that because, Jesus, you got out of the grave, they will too, that they have such a bright future, yeah, one that is uh, pain-free and sorrow-free, full of pleasure and joy and worship because you are at the center of their life and that you bore their griefs and carried their sorrows and that you carried their iniquities on the cross and that they have everything to hope for. And God, I also ask that you would give them courage to suffer well, to be open to community, to ask for help, um, that they would take hold of your means of grace, of your word and prayer and disciplines and community and worship uh, to fill them, to remind them uh, to wait patiently and to hear your promises and the love that you have for them. So in your name we pray. Amen. 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 That's a wrap. See ya. Thank you for being our guest in the green room. Remember, if you want more vulnerable conversations, then share, like, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at college underscore Austin Stone. See you next time.